What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. This is episode number 27 of the podcast. It takes a deep dive into what's going on in the NFC East. And coming up, we'll get a look at some big news coming out of the Washington football team. They have lost a key player for the 2020 season due to domestic battery charges. We're going to get into all that coming up here in just a few minutes. The Eagles are bringing an old friend back into the fold, and uh, we'll tell you what his role on the team will be and how it hurts one young player in particular and sheds some uh, some not-so-great light on a, a move that Howie Roseman made at the trade deadline last year. But before we get into all that, we're going to start off the show talking to a good buddy of mine, a former colleague at NumberFire.com. He, uh, he still works for NumberFire. He also uh, writes and does podcasts for FanDuel. Jim Sonis is joining me to talk a little bit about some of the skill positions in the NFC East and how he sees that out that all shaking out here for the 2020 season. And we'll talk a little fantasy football stuff uh, having to do with some of the skill position players as well. You can follow Jim on Twitter at Jim Sonis. Jim, welcome to Eye on the Enemy, my friend. How you doing? I am doing great. Now I get to talk to you, John. This is always a delight for me. So I am excited now. I know it's a weird time with like pan- a literal pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to be excited about too much, but it makes it better to get to talk to you. So I am fine and dandy today. How are you? I'm, I'm doing just fine, too. And and one of the things I've always loved about Jim is Jim is like one of the most positive, uh, <laughs> uh, enthusiastic guys. a couple of months, John, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But Jim comes by it naturally. So uh, it's it's really good to talk to you again. Jim and I worked at Number Fire. I, work, I wrote for Number Fire for three or four years. And so we worked pretty closely together there. And um, Jim, you, you got your hand in a lot of different podcasts right now. Just run down some of the podcasts that, that you do with FanDuel and Number Fire. Yeah, so we have a betting one uh, called Covering the Spread, which is just strictly sports betting, uh, probably of interest to Philadelphia people or Pennsylvania people because uh, FanDuel is obviously in Pennsylvania. So we do that one. That's once per week. I have a daily baseball one, uh, which goes up in the morning talking uh, Major League Baseball daily fantasy. That goes up every morning. It's called The Solo Shots. Uh, And then in the afternoon, we're now doing like this live stream thing on YouTube. Twitch and Facebook answering questions about MLB DFS. Uh, that that's like kind of I'm going to count that as half a podcast, I guess, because <laughs> there's like no prep involved with that one. Because it's just like people asking me questions, and the prep that I do for the morning show prepares me for that. So it's kind of I'll count that as a half one. Uh, and then golf and NASCAR uh, weekly sports. So those are only once per week. It winds up being like a lot, but it's really fun uh, because I enjoy all those for for, for daily fantasy. Um, it's fun to. Get to talk about different sports. It's not monotonous. Uh, I get to talk about baseball again, which is a huge relief. So it's weird because like my workload has definitely gone up, but it's not that bad of a thing because it's just really, really fun to talk baseball again. So I've had a blast the past couple of weeks with, with all these sports overlapping. 
Yeah, it's it's thankfully we're getting some some live sports back here. And I know once the once the NFL season, you're neck deep in in fantasy for it for the NFL. And, you know, that's that's kind of where we're heading right now as we're getting ready for this uh, 2020 NFL season. I guess first, let me just ask you, what's your what's your level of concern that we get this season played? So concern about whether or not they should play it is very high. Uh, concern about whether they do play it is low because I think the NFL is probably just going to take the mentality similar to baseball where they just plow through it because it seems like, I mean, everything's so money driven. I, I think there'd be so much downside of not doing so that they're probably going to plow through it. Um, we can question whether or not they should, but I think they will. College football is a very different equation because it's hard to force players to do something when you're not paying them. Right. So college football, different discussion. I think with NFL, it's probably going to be a situation where I think they will play. You know, it'll be nice to have that release. There are a lot of like guilt things with like watching football because of like traumatic head injuries and all that stuff. Um, so like we've dealt with that before and that's unfortunate, but I think just like from a, a relaxation perspective and from like a mental like release perspective, it will be mm-hmm. nice to have the NFL there as long as you don't think too hard about it. Right. I mean, you, you kind of have to. And, and you know that, you know, these are all adults and it's yeah. interesting that I, I think the NFL was a little bit surprised they had as many opt outs as they did. But there haven't been any big stars, specifically sure. big quarterbacks sure. that have decided to opt out. And I think th- that's obviously good news for the NFL. If you if they had had a bunch of big name quarterbacks opt out of the season, it would they might have had to reconsider their plans to to stage this thing. Yeah, and I think Nick Foles actually like there was a rumor that yeah. he was going to. He didn't, um, but like that was a rumor that made the rounds on Chicago Bears Twitter is that Nick Foles is going to knock or opt out, and that might have like Foles isn't a superstar, but like that's a big name championship quarterback, obviously things like that. That would have changed things a bit potentially, but I think the NFL is thinking long and hard about this. They've kind of had the benefit of time where they could evaluate things, so hopefully they're working in conjunction with health experts to make this thing as safe as possible, and uh, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I think that they've had the benefit of time at least to formulate a good plan uh, to try to work this thing out. I really do hope, because like, it's fun to watch NFL football, and I want these players to be safe, so I'm really hoping that they get it figured out and they, they have this thing safe, because... Uh, that would definitely ease a lot of my concerns about this yeah. year. Uh, let's get on to the uh, play between the lines here. And I wanted to start off talking about Carson Wentz. Were you surprised that the NFL players did not list him among the top 100 players in the league? I, I think a couple of years ago, he was as high as number three after yeah. the 2017 season. And and then they put out a list with, I did a rant on this last week. They had Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Kyler Murray, all ranked above him. Where are you on Carson Wentz right now? And are you surprised that he was ranked as low as he was? I'm surprised that Josh Allen was. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's barbaric like to have Josh Allen uh, that much higher than Carson Wentz. And I've had this weird trajectory with Carson Wentz where I was too low on him coming out. And I was kind of like stubborn about it. I was like, oh man, like, you know, like I feel really stupid because he's outperforming what I expected. And so I was lower on Carson Wentz than consensus for his first couple of years. But now I feel like I'm actually higher than consensus on Carson Wentz, which has been really strange to witness because it doesn't happen all that often where you go from being, you know, lower on someone than consensus to being higher on them. And I think that's what's happened with Wentz. And a lot of that is remembering the context in which numbers occur. Carson Wentz last year, 18th uh, among quarterbacks in our efficiency metrics over a number fire, which is definitely like not a great rating. It was better than Josh Allen, even though, you know, whatever. Uh, right. Josh, the Josh Allen thing is very weird. We'll disregard that for now. But Carson Wentz finished 18th last year. That's obviously not great. But I remember 
the context and remember the skill position players who were around him when that occurred. I know that that's been a topic that has been beaten to death over the saw season. I'm not here to like rehash that thing. It's true, though. It that, needs to be rehashed and beaten yeah. to death because people forget about it. Right. And like they shouldn't because like I like Greg Ward is cool. Greg Ward, the story is awesome. But like if that's your top receiver, things are pretty concerning. And I think the Eagles, um, obviously with Marquise Goodwin opting out, this is a bit of a different equation, but he wasn't a huge factor with me to begin with. But when you give him that much speed and hopefully a healthy Deshaun Jackson to go with it all, mm-hmm. that's a different like Carson Wentz 2020 is not Carson Wentz 2019. I think that's important to remember. Context is so important with quarterbacks like Jared Goff his first year, surrounded by a bunch of bad players. They get him talent around him, and suddenly Jared Goff performs well. And I think that we'll see better performance out of Carson Wentz this year. I'm hoping that uh, the the offseason program allows them to get the, the rookie speedsters integrated and allows them to hit the ground running there because Carson Wentz, when he's on, is really fun to watch. And I want to watch fun football players. And I think that Wentz can be in that discussion when there's enough talent around him. Now, the offensive line is uh, concerning now with the Brooks injury, uh, with with uh, Andre Dillard hopefully performing well at left tackle. It's concerning, but I think that my baseline assumption going into this year is that Carson Wentz can be better than he was last year. And even Carson Wentz last year is better than Josh Allen. So honestly, that list is it's perplexing, to say the least. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's going to help him is also another year from Miles Sanders. Sanders got off to kind of a slow start last year as he learned the league. It's not unusual for a rookie quarterback to to understand you can't bounce everything to the outside. And by the middle to the end of the year, he was becoming a true dual threat running the football and, and catching the ball out of the backfield. And everything we're hearing out of Philadelphia is that he's going to get the rock a lot this year. What kinds of numbers are you projecting, are you seeing for, for Sanders here in his sophomore season? Yeah, so if we're talking about this like from a fantasy perspective, he is my number 10 overall player in fantasy wow. football for this year. And I think that's pretty in line with consensus. Uh, my colleague at number five, JJ Zacharyson, also has him at number 10. So I don't think that's like super outrageous. And the reason that we are so high on Miles Sanders is because the usage he got last year after the Jordan Howard injury was really, really good. And the reason that it's fun is that they were giving him targets and they were also like not like these bunny targets all the time. Like he was getting like legitimate looks downfield and uh, converting on those. And that's what you want in fantasy is you want running backs who get rush attempts, but more importantly, pass attempts from a fantasy perspective in a half PPR league, a target for running back is worth twice as much as a carry. And Miles Sanders last year, I mean, if you look at the, the, the games where he filled in for Jordan Howard, four, five, 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 six, six, five targets for Miles Sanders in those games. That is really good usage for a running back. So I think from a fantasy perspective, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, from a real-world perspective, we saw Sanders, as you said, get better as the year went along. The concern is the offensive line because the, the Brandon Brooks thing is concerning. He's so, so good. Yeah. Obviously, you hope you get Lane Johnson healthy for the full year. That'd make a big difference. Um, hopefully, Andre Dillard in his second year in the league, not learning both left and right tackle at the same time, focusing on just one position. That should help him, too. So the offensive line is a force when they're at full health. I'm hoping that they will be that again this year because if they can be their their truest selves, Miles Sanders could be just a an absolute force of nature as a running back also want to look at the rookie wide receiver that they took in the first round Jalen Rager uh, obviously the with Marquise Goodwin like you mentioned opting out the the wide receiver situation becomes a little clearer it also doesn't look like as though Alshon Jeffrey is going to be ready to start the season with the team although don't know that for sure yet but 
It looks like you've got Deshaun on the outside, Jalen Rager on the other side or in the slot, Greg Ward in there, and then, of course, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who was a disaster last year. Who knows what you get from him? Mm-hmm. The Birds wide receiving core here, I I still have no idea what to make of it, and I'm not sure what they're going to get out of Jalen Rager. I like Justin Jefferson better than Rager as uh, with that pick there, but they went with the speed guy, and like you mentioned, the, the, the Eagles really needed speed. What do you make of Rager here in his rookie season? Is he going to make an impact in this offense? I think he'll make an impact, John, just because of what you mentioned, the speed. And what the speed does is it helps everyone else in the field, even if he himself is not getting targets. I think that the best way to get an example of this, look at Will Fuller on the Texans. Like you always, it was, it was kind of overplayed, but like when you looked at Deshaun Watson's splits with and without Will Fuller, it was pretty dramatic because what Will Fuller, Fuller did was he opened up the defense and that generated more space for DeAndre Hopkins and for everyone else within that offense. Now you add Jalen Rager into this offense and that's going to help out Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard quite a bit. It's going to help out Miles Sanders underneath, you know, those types of guys because the defense has to respect the speed of Jalen Rager. So Rager himself, I don't know what the numbers are going to look like this year. I think it's really encouraging that they're having him learn a couple of positions, it sounds like. Uh, it sounds like they want to use him pretty heavily, and that says to me that they believe in him and they want him to be a pretty focal point of this offense. But I think the bigger impact of Rager is what he'll do for guys, like when Alshon gets back, uh, for Dallas Goddard, for Zach Ertz. I think that'll be the biggest impact of Rager is opening up more things for those other guys within the offense. And then if he gets some some high leverage targets on top of it, uh, you know, you certainly won't turn that down either. And finally on the Eagles, and then we'll move on to some other NFC East teams here. The Eagles have run a lot of 12 personnel in the last couple of years because they have Ertz and Goddard. Do you see that continuing? Uh, a lot of uh, trying to get these guys both on the field at the same time? I think so. And I think, like, honestly, they should just because you should always let the talent on your team dictate the personnel that you use and if we're talking about this just from a talent perspective i think it's pretty easy to say that if the eagles are going to go with their 11 most talented players both Ertz and dallas goddard are probably in that equation especially when you consider the alshon jeffrey injury you have the question marks about deshaun coming back from his injury there are a lot of unknowns at wide receivers so i think it makes a lot of sense to go with both Goddard and Ertz, that gives you kind of a heavier formation. Maybe that can open things up more for Deshaun and for Rager as wide receivers. Uh, can also help things uh, from Miles Sanders, try to get some more open lanes for him. Although Ertz, you know, not necessarily a blocker, mm-hmm. uh, but it can do some things defensively. So I think the way that I would always view things in the NFL is get your best players out there, regardless of what position they may play, and let that dictate the personnel. And I think that I respect Doug Peterson enough and trust him enough to say that he will take the most efficient route. Like you said, they ran a lot of, uh, you know, two tight end sets last year. I would expect the same thing this year. There's kind of no reason not to. And it may be even more effective this year once you add in the speed of Deshaun Jackson and Jalen Rager as well. All right, let's talk Dallas. How good is their offense going to be this year with CeeDee Lamb in the fold? It's going to be nuts. Um, it's going to be really fun. <laughs> I hate that fun. answer, but yeah, you're right. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I think that's just kind of the way it's going to be. They did lose Travis Frederick, uh, their center. He retired in the offseason, and that is a downgrade. But I think when you look at the guys they have stepping in, they are better prepared to deal with that loss this year than they were in 2018. So I still expect this offensive line to be really good. And Dak Prescott last year ranked fifth in efficiency based on number fires metrics uh, among quarterbacks. That does include deductions for sacks. So all around, Dak Prescott was one of the best quarterbacks in the game. If you look at that offense overall last year, you account for their schedule. 
they were actually the second best offense in football, trailing only the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, the Chiefs had that weird time with no Mahomes. That is not accounting for that. So if I were ranking them, I wouldn't put them second. But they were really good. And now you add in CeeDee Lamb, and it goes back to what we discussed before with Carson Wentz. You have to consider context with quarterbacks. We saw Dak Prescott put up those numbers last year, even with Amari Cooper being banged up part of the year. Michael Gallup missed some time. He didn't always have immense skill around him. But now, if he gets a full year of healthiness out of Gallup, Cooper, and Lamb, that's a crazy good offense. The context there is so good that it would be hard for me to see them. Like, if you're setting an over-under for offensive efficiency, like four and a half, maybe five and a half for Dallas, like that would be too high. Um, like, I'd be a terrible sports book. But <laughs> if you were to do that, I think that'd be an appropriate number. This no, this offense would be really good. So I'm sorry, John. You're just going to have to deal with I this know. one. They're, they're going to be tough. I'm just hoping I'm hoping the interior of the Eagles defensive line can yeah. can can and Darius Slay coming into the fold can yeah. help mitigate something there because I don't know how teams are going to stop Dallas from putting points up on the board. You just hope Dallas's defensive issues are enough to uh, leave them hand them enough uh, 40 to 37 losses this year, which I think is what we're <laughs> right. going to be looking at. So let's talk. I mean, the NFC East is really blessed with a bunch of really good running backs. We talked about Miles Sanders with the with the Giants and the Cowboys. You have Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott, and I have them. I, I have them so close together in terms of skill and in terms of production. I was curious where you have these two guys as far as the pecking order in the NFL: Barkley and Elliott. So for fantasy, I think I do have Saquon a little bit higher than Zeke and. There are two different ways you can view this. You can go with team strength, and team strength is something I value a lot, and obviously the Cowboys are going to be higher on that chart than the Giants, and that means more touchdowns. That's great for running backs. The reason that I'm a tiny bit lower on Zeke than Saquon is that last year, when especially when everyone was healthy, we saw the target shares for Zeke Elliott go down. And if you look at target numbers to running backs, even when we're not looking at just third downs, they're not as efficient as targets to wide receivers. That is especially true when your target, when your wide receivers are CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. So I'm not seeing a path to a lot of passing game volume for Zeke Elliott this year. Right. That does matter a lot for fantasy. Whereas Saquon Barkley, you know he will get targets. He's got, I think, a better offensive line around him. They did have an opt-out on the offensive line, which is a tiny bit of a concern, but I think the the targets should be there. We know Saquon can blow up. Uh, he'll be healthy this year. So I favor Saquon over Zeke because I feel more confident in projecting passing game volume for him. But the team strength does favor Zeke. So honestly, it's, it's a coin flip, but I would go Saquon just because I feel better about him getting targets. Let's talk a little about the Washington football team. What do they have outside of Terry McLaurin to be excited about? Uh, so Pro Football Focus is an organization I respect a lot. And if you look back at their numbers last year down the stretch for Dwayne Haskins, they liked him a lot. Uh, the efficiency numbers were not there, but I respect Pro Football Focus. I respect the way they attack things. And it's important to keep in mind the context around Dwayne Haskins. Uh, and that is that that bodes well for him for this year. The problem is the context didn't get a lot better. Like they didn't address the offensive line all that much. Uh, they traded away Trent Williams, who was not there last year, but uh, doesn't get an upgrade via that at least. And they did get some wide receivers and some running backs, but they were later in the draft. So I think that Dwayne Haskins is still kind of an open question mark. I think the good thing for them uh, from an overall team perspective is that defensive line is going to be just berserk. So maybe they're playing a lot of like super low scoring games, uh, trying to grind things out that way put some volatility in place so that Haskins can, can try to win you some games. But 
it is tough to find a whole lot of bright marks there, John, outside of McLaurin, just because they didn't do enough, I don't think, to address some pretty glaring needs on offense to make me feel super confident in Dwayne Haskins taking a step forward. Now, again, PFF had different numbers, so um, there is a reason to believe into Dwayne Haskins. I'm just still skeptical given the lack of skill around him outside of McLaurin. So uh, pretty tough to get enthused about the offense, but the defensive line should be a major positive for them for sure. I think one of the the other quarterback that we haven't talked about in this division is Daniel Jones of the Giants, and I think I've been a little bit higher on him than than most people have. I I thought what he did at the end of last year was really encouraging. If you're a Giants fan, I thought he I thought he played really well down the stretch, and I was curious what your take is on Daniel Jones as he enters year number two. However, with a new coach and yeah. a new offense, without really an off season to kind of get things going. Yeah, I think it depends on what your view is of how much a quarterback controls his own sack rate. And Dr. Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus did a study last year that showed that quarterbacks play a pretty integral role in dictating their sack rate. And Daniel Jones loved to take sacks last year. Like, dude was all about that sack life. If you look at his numbers last year at number fire, and those numbers do account for sacks, uh, strip sacks, and stuff like that, he was 36th in per dropback efficiency. He was one spot ahead of Mason Rudolph, who got benched for Duck Hodges. One spot behind Joe Flacco, who got uh, benched for Drew Locke. He's behind Jeff Driscoll, Mitchell Trubisky. So not great territory for Daniel Jones. He will have more help up front this year uh, because they did go uh, with the offensive lineman early. That does help for sure. But I'm worried that he may just be a guy who loves to take sacks. Mm. And it's hard for me to see him pulling himself out of that unless he changes his mindset completely. Now, you mentioned new offense. Maybe that helps things out there for sure. But I am wary of quarterbacks who adore sacks. I, I learned from Marcus Mariota getting too enthused about him. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, it's just the offensive line. And it never really changed, no matter how much they address their offensive line. So I'm trying to learn from past mistakes. And I think that as a result of that, I'm a bit lower on Daniel Jones just because I'm worried that he may be uh, too too happy to take a sack more often than he should. Some guys just like more physical contact, Jim. I mean, that's yeah, you just and some you got to pre- like hand the ball off to Jamal Adams and letting mm. him score a touchdown. You know, maybe that's just his thing. I don't know. I, I'm maybe, not trying to to shame Daniel Jones for his yeah. likes and dislikes, but I'm just pointing out that he right. might be might be a fan of the sack. There's no need to cast aspersions here. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> last thing for you, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot a little bit. Do you have a anybody that you think could be a a breakout candidate, a breakout player this year in the NFC East? Whether it's on the Eagles or, or uh, the Washington football team, Cowboys or Giants? Let me think here. Uh, a breakout player from one of those teams. I think, honestly, you could put Reger in that discussion just because, like, playing time dictates whether a player is going to break out. And I think, based on what we've heard from camp so far with the Eagles, that Jalen Reger is probably going to play a lot. And if you look at what he did at TCU, he got a lot of volume. Uh, it wasn't efficient volume because the quarterback situation there is questionable for sure. But he has speed. He serves a very uh, a, a necessary outlet within that offense. So I think you could honestly make the case where we got the guy we talked about right at the top of the show and Jalen Rager potentially being a breakout for this year because he's going to play. He's got a good quarterback in Carson Wentz. He fills a, a need within that offense. So he checks a lot of the boxes you want from a breakout player. And the breakout player for me is, is almost always going to come from a, a good team just because I can expect them to score touchdowns. Rager has that, so honestly, I, I think he might actually be the answer to that question. Well, listen, folks, make sure you're checking out everything Jim Sonis does at FanDuel and Numberfire. Check out all his podcasts. Make sure you're following him on Twitter 
at Jim Sonis. Jim, thanks so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy, pal. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. It was fun to talk to you again. Hopefully you and your family are safe and healthy and everyone listening there as well. I appreciate the time and let's just enjoy some sports for the next couple of months while we can. And up next, the Eagles bring an old favorite back into the fold to help out the defense. I'll tell you who it is. And also the Washington football team cuts a player who I thought had a great chance to be a breakout candidate for them this year due to domestic violence charges against him. We'll get into all that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So the Philadelphia Eagles have brought Vinnie Curry back to the defensive line. Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network, good friend of the podcast, was the first to report the Curry deal. It's for one year, I believe $2 million. Uh, Curry coming off his best sack total season since 2014 last year when he had five sacks for the Eagles. It was a slow start, but really came on towards the end of the year. But this is an interesting move. It, it certainly helps the Eagles with their depth at, at the edge. You've got Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett as the, the top two guys on the depth chart. And Vinnie Curry probably slots in as the number three with Josh Sweat at number four, although Maybe by the end of training camp, those two guys are flip-flopped. I think the Eagles would like to get more out of Josh Sweat than they did a year ago, but they obviously brought Vinny Curry back uh, because they felt he, he had something to offer. Apparently, Curry had an offer for the Cleveland Browns that would pay him a little bit more, but he wanted to come back to Philadelphia. We see that a lot. We saw that with Jason Peters as well, that he, he chose to come back to the Philadelphia Eagles rather than take a more lucrative job someplace else. Who knows how much more lucrative, but... You get the idea here. Philadelphia is apparently a great place to play. And uh, Vinny Curry, obviously, uh, Vinny from the block uh, coming back to Philadelphia. I do think it's interesting what this means for Gennard Avery, who, if you'll recall, was acquired for a fourth round draft pick last trade deadline. That was really the biggest acquisition made by the Eagles at the trade deadline last year. And Gennard Avery did not see the field on defense at all. He played some special teams for the Eagles last year, but it was disappointing that we didn't get to see Avery at all. And But the thinking was, okay, they traded a fourth-round pick for Gennard Avery. The thinking is you're, you get him so that you, you get to see him in 2020. Well, now it doesn't appear as though that's going to happen because with Vinny Curry coming back, the top four spots on the depth chart, barring injury, are likely set. And I think you're going to likely see with, Jay, with Javon Hargrave in the fold, you're going to probably see Malik Jackson get some time on the edge, too. So Jannard Avery might be the number six edge rusher on this team. That is, again, and we've seen this with Howie Roseman, a pretty crappy use of your team capital. To trade your a fourth-round draft pick for a guy who you're just not going to use? 
you know, it says something about Jannard Avery, I guess. The, I guess Jim Schwartz doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in him that he was going to be able to step up here in training camp. Maybe Vinny Curry, he signs and, and then they cut him in training camp. Who knows exactly what happens? These are NFL contracts. They're, you know, very little of them are guaranteed. So uh, it might might just be that Jannard Avery wins a job in training camp. I suppose that's still a possibility, but I don't think it's very likely at this point, especially with all of the all of the depth now that this team has on the defensive line. And that's the good news here is that the Eagles did add depth, did add depth on the defensive line. So even if the Eagles don't have a premier edge rusher, which they really don't, Brandon Graham's a pretty good player, but he's not really a pro bowler at this stage in his career. Maybe Derek Barnett, we've been waiting for him to turn into that kind of guy, but it hasn't happened just yet. So you don't have a stud edge rusher on this team, but you hope that you have enough depth now. You hope that Josh Sweat takes a step forward and that Vinny Curry gives you what he gave you last year, then I think then I think you're in decent shape there on the defensive line. And that really is most likely going to be the strength of this defense is they've got a really solid defensive tackle situation, a really solid rotation going on there. And now it appears as though the, uh, the, the edge rushers have just a little bit more depth to them. And that's really what this team needed because they're so weak at linebacker. And outside of Darius Slay, because of the cornerback position and at the safety position, we really don't know exactly what it's going to look like. So they appear to be very strong on the defensive line, but they've got a bunch of question marks throughout the rest of the defense outside of that and Darius Slay. So I think the defense has a chance to be really, really good this year. If guys like Will Parks or Kayvon Lawrence step up, or if a player like Duke Riley or TJ Edwards does does better than we think, then this Eagles defense could be a top 10 defense given how good the defensive line is and the fact that they do have a lockdown cornerback. It'll be interesting to see exactly how Jim Schwartz, uh, whether or not he changes his scheme and plays more man-to-man with Darius Slay in the fold as opposed to the, the zone defense that he is obsessed with playing. And and so, you know, we'll see exactly how it shakes out with Philadelphia here in the uh, next few months. But I do think it's interesting what this Vinnie Curry deal means for Jannard Avery. I don't think it means good things. And, and it's disheartening to see the Eagles essentially just gave away a fourth-round pick for a player that they really don't plan on using this year. Let's get to the Darius Geis news. And it was reported on Friday that he was arrested on domestic violence-related charges. And shortly thereafter, the Washington football team announced that they were releasing the 23-year-old running back. Geis faces charges, and this is according to the Washington Post, that include one count of strangulation, which is a felony, according to a spokesman for the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office, which is here in Northern Virginia. The other charges are three counts of assault and battery, as well as one count of destruction as property. Um, Geis was handcuffed in the parking lot of the Loudoun Adult Detention Center before being taken inside, was released on bond. It only took two hours for a team to, for the team to release a statement uh, saying that uh, he, the team had met with him and that he'd be in a, he had been excused from team activities. Uh, the statement read, This afternoon we learned that there were multiple charges filed against Darius. Upon review of the nature of these charges and following internal discussions, we have decided to release Darius immediately. Now, apparently the arrest came after three incidents were reported to the Montgomery County Police Department in Maryland where the person he is alleged to have abused lives, according to the sheriff's office. Apparently the department also determined assaults took place on February 14th, March 13th, and April 17th at Geis's Virginia home. And the office, uh, the sheriff's office apparently learned of the accusations on July 22nd. So this has apparently been in the process for quite a little while ago. Geis was selected in the second round of the 2018 draft. He fell out of the first round because of questions about maturity and, of all, and also durability. But, um, you know, he was a really good running back at LSU. It seemed as though he had a professional, a good 
professional career in front of him, but he'd suffered injuries over the last couple of years. He tore his ACL in his left knee um, in his rookie season, and then uh, he tore the meniscus in his right knee last year. Uh, returned in November, played well during a four-week stretch, ran for ten, ran ten times for 129 yards against Carolina. And when I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about breakout players in the NFC East this year, Darius Geis was the first guy that came to mind. You look at a Washington uh, offense that has an opening for somebody to jump up and take that spot. I mean, you've got 62-year-old Adrian Peterson expected now to kind of lead the pack. It's just, it's not a good, it's not a good running back room. And Geis had it laying in front of him. This is also yet another blow for the Washington football team. Remember, this this comes just three weeks after the Washington Post reported 15 former female employees and two female reporters accused high-ranking team officials of sexual harassment and that the team had fired two scouting executives and longtime play-by-play guy Larry Michael resigned, announced his retirement. You talk about a pretty brutal spring and summer for the Washington football team and also going through the process of dumping their racist name and changing their logo and doing all of that. My goodness, what a what a disaster of an organization right now. They made the right decision here, though, with Darius Geis by releasing the running back. And even though even though it's going to hurt them on the field, they they did the right thing. They did what they had to do. These charges sound absolutely awful when it comes to Darius Geis. So. No uh, no breakout season for Darius Geis here in 2020, and you can only hope that his victim uh, is getting the help that she needs and uh, is, is okay. Uh, Darius Geis's playing career should be a, a, a distant worry for, for just about everyone involved with the Washington football team and around the NFL. I wanted to finish off this episode of the podcast with some stats for you because the Eagles' new media guide came out this week, and I was I always like to leaf through the media guide and, and see take a look at some yearly stats and uh, every year, you know, these guys compile more numbers and they move up the team rankings in different lo- different categories. And uh, some some numbers really caught my eye that I wanted to pass along. And I might do this in ensuing weeks here as well because uh, you know you can't can't knock them all out in one episode. Uh, so I was taking a look at the kickers first, and I, Jake Elliott caught my eye because he's already tied for seventh in team history in field goals made with seventy four. He trails Bobby Watson, who kicked in the 1950s for the Eagles, and Tony Franklin, who were tied for fifth with 80. Roger Ruzek had 81. Sam Baker, who was a kicker for the Eagles in the 60s, had 90. And Paul McFadden, who was the Eagles' barefoot kicker in the 80s, is second in team history in field goals with 91. So if Jake Elliott has a good season, you could see him move all the way up the leaderboard to the number two spot this season. However, he's not going to catch the guy at number one, David Akers, who has 294 field goals made in his Eagles career. Again, McFadden is the next closest at 91. That's more than 200 more field goals made. No one is ever going to catch David Aker's record for most field goals made in team history. Carson Wentz is already fifth in team history in passing yards with 14,191. And of the 20 Eagles on the list of most passing yards, his 92.7 passer rating is already second best, trailing only Nick Foles, 93.2. However, Foles has only 8,703 passing yards. And finally, I've got some fun Zach Ertz numbers for you. Zach Ertz is really carving out a Hall of Fame career for himself. And if he, if he keeps going like this, he's, he's going to get in. He is already second in team history in receptions with 525. And if he gets 65 receptions this year, he will pass Harold Carmichael for the team's all-time receptions record of 589. He's also fifth 
in team history in receiving yards behind Deshaun Jackson, who's in fourth, and he's eighth in team history in touchdowns. Finally, on the defensive side of the ball, did you know that Brandon Graham is fifth all-time in team sacks? I I didn't realize he had that many at 51. Only Hugh Douglas, Clyde Simmons, Trent Cole, and Reggie White have more career sacks than Brandon Graham. Fletcher Cox is seventh, by the way. Folks, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Jim Sonis once again for coming on the podcast. Just a reminder, folks, if you haven't left a five-star rating and a review at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, would ask you to please do that. It does help other Eagles fans find the podcast and continue to check out all of our work at bleedinggreennation.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.